Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shadow of your wings, Salah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. That's Psalm 61, which along with Psalm 62 are the psalms appointed for today, Monday, December the 20th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. It's my birthday. I'm 61 years old today, and so it's a sort of a record in my family because for the last three generations, um, my grandfathers and my father, none, none ever celebrated their 61st birthday. So I'm very blessed and fortunate to, to be still doing this work. So today we're going to take a look at... Um, prophecy here in this last week of Advent. We're going to take a look at the prophecy of Zephaniah. Uh, Also, we're going to be in uh, the book of the letter to Titus, uh, who was one of Paul's protégés and disciples that he had left behind to to lead the church and to to make sure the churches were properly and well-established with leadership. And then finally, in, we're going to begin reading in the Gospel of Luke today, which is sort of everybody's favorite and, and most well-known nativity uh, scenes come from the book of Luke. Um, if you've watched Charlie Brown Christmas, then you're familiar with Luke's Gospel and its recounting of the events of the Incarnation. And so Today, when we begin this passage in Zephaniah with, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, and he has cleared away your enemies. And so we know that in in an immediate context, we're talking about the return of the people to the land. But in a larger context, we're, we're looking forward prophetically to the coming of the king to the coming of the true king, the messianic king of Israel. But what we're seeing, though, is is that the Lord is restoring the fortunes of Zion. And so he has taken away the judgments, in other words, his judgment that had been pronounced that forced them to go into exile, and he's cleared away your enemies. They have nothing left to fear. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And they would have interpreted that primarily, in, in, like I said, in the near term, they would have interpreted that as the Shekinah glory of God being in their midst in the temple. We know that it's more than that even. It's literally in the incarnation. He is in their midst. And now we experience him in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us believers. He said, <clears throat> you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let your hands, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. Again, the reminder of the power of the presence of God in the middle of his people. And if you've ever been in worship and experienced that power of the presence of God in the midst of his worshiping people, then you, what you do is you want it more and more and more to experience that 
presence is, is beyond any way of, of human imagining or human description. Uh, he's a mighty one who will save. And so again, Zephaniah is looking forward to this day because he says, in that day. But he will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What a beautiful picture that is of the way that we are loved by our Father who is in heaven, but who is present here on earth in the power of his Holy Spirit. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Mourning for the festival, what's being referred to there is the fact that they were not able to celebrate the festivals when they were in Babylon. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. It's a complete reversal of the situation. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And it's a moment and and a time to look forward to, and it's what we should be praying for is the coming of the Lord. Uh, We should be praying the same thing that the Revelation ends with, which is uh, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, sooner rather than later. And particularly over the last 18 to 20 months, um, I can't imagine anybody wanting to continue to live the way that we've been living since March of last year under this COVID pandemic and all the lockdowns and all the unnatural way of living that we've had to endure uh, for this last couple of years almost now, and it's it's a sad commentary that that we had to be brought to our knees in this way, But and I'm not seeing the church moving forth in power in all of this. It should be a moment when we absolutely shine, but we've been caught up in the world so much that, it, that we we're failing in, in so many ways to tell the t- truth and to provide great witness to the world for hope and peace. In the gospel, we're beginning, uh, Luke uh, writes to someone named Theophilus, and there are scholars who presume that there's no such person because it means lover of God. There are people who presume there's no such person, that, that it's just his style of writing is to address it to a person, who, but, but he's not really a person. He's a God lover. Or it is somebody, because that's a true name, um, just like Christopher, which is God-bearer, or Christ-bearer, actually. Um, so those those are actual names, but there there are those who say nope, this is addressed to a person, and then there are others to say, well, this is addressed to a group of people who would be God lovers. So inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, this would be concerning the life and times of Jesus Christ. And so he's he's saying that there are several people, many people. Uh, have undertaken to compile a narrative. So there are many Gospels out there, Gospels in the sense of telling the good news of Jesus Christ, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. He said, uh, so he said, all these things have been written and 
there must have been some issue with that. And so Luke says, so I went and went back to the original sources on this. I conducted an investigation that I might write a forensic report, essentially, to you about this in order that you may have confidence in the things that you already believe, the things that you've been taught. And so he's going to give us a historical lesson. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. So he's locating him in time and in space, but this is when Herod was king of Judea. And there was this priest, and his name was Zechariah, and he was in the division of Abijah. And so Abijah would have been the, the head priest over a group of people. And so when their time to serve came up, there were many, many priests in the land, more than could, could serve. And so there was a mandatory retirement age of 50 at the time. And so they, there were so many of them, they had to be under one leader. And so Abijah would have been the leader of the division in which Zechariah served. <clears throat> he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. So his, his wife was from the priestly line as well, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And so when we read this in a biblical context, the first thing that we come to to see is, okay, so these are people who, who are blameless in their conduct. They are righteous under the law, but they have no child. And so what we what we can conclude— from that immediately is, uh-oh, something special is going to happen here, because otherwise we're not going to be told these details. And so we're expecting great things now to happen because our expectation should be, okay, so there's going to be a child involved here. So now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So he's, he's going to go into the holy place. This is probably a once-in-a-lifetime experience for him because, there, like I said, there were so many priests that they had to choose by lot who's going to do things. It was, uh, there were so many that it, it would be remarkable that you ever got to serve in the temple itself— rather than outside doing the sacrifices or cleaning things up or whatever. But it, it was remarkable that he, that he got to go into the holy place and serve at the altar of incense. So he'd be filling the, uh, the incense and lighting all of that at that time. And, but like I said, it's probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I'm certain <laughs> that those two things are absolutely true. I can't even begin to imagine what that would look like and what it would feel like to have been in that particular situation. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And that's the point of the incense, actually, is to to symbolize the prayers of the people ascending to the throne of God. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, in the past, we don't see with uh, Hannah, for instance, or with Abraham and uh, Sarah, we don't see God saying, this is what this child needs to be named. So it's a pretty remarkable thing that God names this child, and he's going to be named something that's not 
part of Zechariah's line, but John's going to be born into a double priestly family. He's going to be born into this line of Aaron to serve here. So he's going to be an unusual person to start with because of what's happening here. So he's going to tell, told him his name's going to be John, and you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he'll be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So he, he's to take a Nazarite vow. He's, he's to live apart even from the, the demands of growing up in the priestly line. So he's going to take a vow of even stricter obedience to the Lord than that. <clears throat> he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now there's all kinds of uh, Old Testament allusions there in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the uh, hearts of the fathers to the children, that's that's a direct quote from Malachi, the work that the Jews to this day expect Elijah to do. They're waiting for Elijah to come, and that's the reason there's always an extra seat at the Passover feast, is in case Elijah shows up. And so Jesus will tell us later that he's already come, and they did what they wanted to to him, and he would have been John the Baptist. So Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? from an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. You're talking to an angel in the temple in the one time you'll ever be there in your whole life, and you're doubting this? But it's the similar kind of uh, response that Moses, not Moses, sorry, Abraham and Sarah have to the announcement by the angel that she will have a child as well. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. In other words, your sign for your unbelief is mutinous until this child is born. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service has ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And she would have felt that. It would have, it would have been a reproach on Elizabeth that she was unable to bear children. And we're told before that that she was barren. And that was Luke's statement about Elizabeth, that she was barren. In other words, it was her fault at some level. Uh, but it seems that she has a purer heart even than her husband, Zechariah. At least she's willing to believe more. And so it's a, it's a beautiful and wonderful beginning of the story to hear about the birth of John the Baptist and the annunciation of the birth of John the Baptist by the archangel Gabriel to Zechariah there in the in the temple. In the passage from the letter to Titus, Paul's writing is said to his protege and disciple who he's left behind to to stay in Crete in order that, that he could set up the church there and make sure that the leadership was well-established and, and rightly selected. So he says, he describes himself, Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is one who is sent with a message, is what that word actually means. He's a servant and an apostle for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. That's his job. 
Here's who I am. I'm a servant and an apostle, but I have a particular job. It's for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. In other words, it flows out in life. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so the elders, here are the qualifications for the elders. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, in other words, he hadn't been divorced a bunch of times, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So that's the, the basic qualifications for an elder are those things, that, that, that his children are believers, that he's raising his children the right way. And, and there's no public scandal about his life. For an overseer, as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So he's got to live a life that's above reproach. He's got to live a life that people can look on and see is different from normal. He's got to be a certain kind of person, but then he also has to know and be able to instruct in sound doctrine and rebuke those who come against sound doctrine. For there are many, he says, who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, the the ones who were formerly Jews who want all accept the yoke of circumcision in order to do so. He said they must be silenced, since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Don't allow this. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Well, that's a pretty horrifying summary judgment on a group of people. But Paul says this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Paul has opinions. (laughs) <laughs> and what you can see here is, is that, that he must have struggled in planning the church in Crete. He must have struggled with this very thing. And we know that he met opposition everywhere that he went, largely because he wasn't forcing people to take the yoke of circumcision and the law on themselves because they have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord God is in your midst. Not only that, he is in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and therefore you don't need all this other stuff to be tacked onto that. It's, it's, it's Christ plus nothing. Not Christ plus circumcision, Christ plus the law, Christ plus all that. No, Christ. Christ alone. That's where salvation is found. And that is the gospel, pure and unadorned. Christ plus nothing.